Hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and I'm not going to take too long for the intro today because the guest needs no proper introduction. It's Jimmy Barnes. Everybody knows who Jimmy Barnes is. He's uh, you know, probably Australia's most successful ever musician. You know what, I say that to him and that's because, you know, I, I think of Jimmy as being more an Australian person than I think of probably ACDC, but Cold Chisel were an iconic Australian band and then Jimmy, of course, had seven, I think, number one albums in a row uh, as well. So just an incredible Australian. And for so many reasons, you're going to find out in this episode, I will put a little warning. I'm actually redoing this intro because I forgot to do this last time. And I think it is actually very important that I do do this, that there is discussions of suicide in this episode. So if you are somebody who is sensitive to those things and does not uh, want them to come as a surprise and maybe you're just not in the right place to listen to this episode and it'll come out at, up out, out of the blue then uh, I wanted to give you that warning and I'm sorry that I didn't do it in my original introduction and of course please if you are struggling at the moment there are places like Lifeline and Beyond Blue uh, which are incredible resources for people who are in those situations themselves or loved ones of people who are in those situations for advice so I always highly recommend Lifeline and Beyond Blue uh Okay, so I have a Patreon page. It seems weird to <laughs> plug that now, but I have a Patreon page. It's called patreon.com slash philosophy, and uh, that's where you can go to support the podcast. This podcast mostly relies on crowdfunding, my Patreon page, and you can sign for as little as a US dollar per month and help uh, pay Podcast Mike and James Fosdyke for doing the original artwork and everybody else, Taylor and Charlie and Sam and everybody else who helps me put out this show weekly and hopefully if we can stay at that 5,000 mark, which we have actually cracked today, if we can stay there for a month and we can keep that at 5,000 for each month, we will be able to put out two episodes per week, one brand new episode like this one and then of course a catch-up episode as well. If you're a Patreon subscriber, you get this episode a day early and you get it ad-free. Um, okay, that's the plug, uh, and uh, now that I have the proper warning there as well, here's Jimmy Barnes. Welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast, and I am so excited to have today's guest on the show. Uh, he is somebody that I have such a great admiration for on so many different levels. And I just look, I'll save all that for when I've introduced him because that's how the show works. So, uh, guest, this is the standard introduction. It feels silly to say it to you, but here it is. I ask the guests who they are. So, who are you? Me, I'm Jimmy. Um, I'm, uh, I'm um, a rock and roll singer. Uh, from Scotland, and I live in the Southern Highlands uh, of New South Wales, and and I used to be in a band called Cold Chisel, and and since then I've been making music with my family and and my friends, and uh, I'm I'm doing all right, and I've written a couple of books. <laughs> you 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 are doing yeah. all right, and you have written well. You've written three yeah. books, and this third one, Killing Time, is. I was just saying to you before we started the show, so I may as well say it actually on the show as well. Uh, I was lucky enough to be sent a PDF copy just to have a look at before this interview, and I said to you, I was hoping that I might read, you know, say the first hundred, hundred and fifty pages, so I had a sense of it. And I sat down, and in one setting, just read the entire thing from start to finish because it is 
so entertaining. You are such a beautiful, concise, uh, lyrical writer. Uh, tell me about writing, because I, I want to start yeah. there. This process of like being an author, telling stories, like your gift for language. You know, did you have a sense when you started writing books that this was something that you would have an aptitude for, or did you have to learn how to do it? Not really, you know. It was one of the, I did do. A, I had a couple of you know goes earlier on, and you know before I wrote working class uh, boy, and and they were you know like you know for a start, you know I wasn't really. There was a lot of issues that I had to face uh, in my life, you know, obviously that came up in those first few books, and and before I could really write from my heart, I had to open up my heart and I had to sort of look and 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 evaluate all the stuff that I'd been through in my life. So I sat down and of course I wrote about the those those issues the first few times, but it was all all in jest and. I made fun of it and light of it and all that sort of stuff. And it wasn't until where, well, you know, where I could sit down and honestly, I was sitting and writing for myself. I was like talking to myself. So one of the things I had to really notice I had to do was, was you know, talk in my own voice. You know, I couldn't bullshit myself. You know, I had to sit and say, you know, this is how it is, and and so, and in, lang- in a language and in in a in a in a, in a style that I would listen to myself because it was like it was like therapy, really. And and I just found that. that um, that in doing that, I found a way that you know to communicate with people as well. It seemed to reach other people. I mean, you know, as you know, we 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 tell stories in public all the time. You know, you know, and and I do it through on stage. I do it with songs. I do it. But you know, to be really be honest, uh, you know, it really it does has to be your authentic voice. So I sat down and, and when I when I write now, I just try and write the way I speak and as if I was trying to understand it myself. And and that seems to work. I uh, you know I you know. You know, of course, I've sat there and I've, I've, I've told people I've sat there and I've tried to do. Oh, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. You're trying to be all, you know, literary and all that sort of shit, and it doesn't work. Uh, so I just found it the best thing for me was to just to write, you know, and and and, to, and to talk the way I am, you know. So uh, I was lucky enough many, many years ago when we worked together on a show called The Glass House and you were generous enough to be a regular guest on that show with a bunch (laughs) of young comedians who were doing this, you know, silly little late night show on the ABC and you would be so absolutely brilliant and generous in coming in and lending us some credibility by having you on the panel, but also entertaining (laughs) us. It was also dangerous a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Entertaining us off air with some of these stories that ended up in these books but one of the things that I wanted to start with was that idea of reconciling with your past because Mm. even then as you told some of these stories there was a sense of here are some wild and crazy things about the life that I have lived and yet at the same time there's a part of me that understands that you know I might not have made these same decisions if I had my time over and I'm going to have to reconcile with that if I'm going to tell people these stories. Yeah you know and and, and it 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 was very mixed well, you know, because I got to the point where, um, you know, uh, I had to look at them and say, you know, God, I've done some stuff that I re- regret. And I, and I thought regret was a too stiff a word, you know, because when, when you learn as much as I have about life, you know, by making mistakes, by by um, by plowing in the deep end, by by, you know, charging at things, even though I didn't understand you know, uh, what, I, what I was facing and what I was dealing with. Um, you can't really regret that. So, you know, there's things I probably would have liked to have done differently, but I don't regret anything 
anything because it, you know it, you know I got through it and 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 in barging through all that stuff with my head you know down and and trying to you know trying to just keep myself from sinking um, I, uh, I I I happened to pick up a lot of good, good knowledge and and a lot of great tips from good people along the way you know I mean because I was such a mess because I was so fragile you know I I, I think that's you know, probably part of the reason I met I met my Jane. You know, I met Jane uh, because uh, because I you know because I was open and 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 drowning and grasping for for help. I, you know, I managed to you know I managed to pick up you know pe- you know information from people, whether it was Deepak Chopra who who somehow you know seen must have seen me struggling and, and reached out and said, oh let's be let's become friends, and we became good mates. And I went to India to meditate with him, and I've you know and I've learned from Buddhist monks, and and I just don't think if I'd have thought if I had it all together that I would have been as open or, or scrambling to, to look for clues along the way and all these clues you know uh, that, that I stumbled upon were, were things that have made me a better person now and and I don't know if I if I hadn't have been really in need of that help and that guidance that I would have turned out the same so you know I, I there's a lot of things I wish I hadn't done but you know I've, I've got to at least be happy where, where I've come to and you know and the thing is you know there's there's a lot of the stuff that I talk about in those early books that was it was out of my control you know it was beyond my control it was about abuse and and you know domestic violence as you know I've been surrounded by that as be, as a child um but that 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 trauma had an impact on me which then you know made me go ahead and create my own trauma and and so I can be I can sit there and be philosophical about about you know that was out of my control but I have to uh, stand up and and take you know, not the blame, but take you know, take ownership of of my own trauma that I cr- created myself for myself and for people around me, including you on your show, probably. <laughs> it came well, none from me, but <laughs> it ca- it comes up regularly on this show. The idea that hurt people hurt people, and yeah. the idea that often you know the worst things that you've experienced in your life become patterns that then you pass on to others. But what yeah. the most important thing is is how you then break those patterns and yeah. stop repeating them. So tell us a little bit about that process. You've touched on it a little bit in your answer there, but yeah. how did you go from somebody who was repeating the patterns to somebody who was breaking the patterns and making new patterns? Well, I see getting this, getting these snippets of information along the way from, from good wise people like my wife uh, and like, like Deepak and, and Buddhist monks and, and, and just you know, people that, that could see, that could see, you know, who I was and, and gathering these little, you know, snippets, you know, I realized that the cycle had to be broken. It's like you say, you know, this, these things tend to be backhanded down, you know? Domestic violence and, and abuse gets handed down, uh, you know, trauma gets handed... You know, I'm, I'm a big, huge believer in intergenerational trauma, you know? I mean, I'm sure that, you know, my parents were much more traumatised than I was and their grandparents were, were much more traumatised than they were and it just keeps, you know, it keeps going on. And unless I broke that cycle, you know, basically I was just going to keep handing this on to my kids. And so I got to a point where, I, you know, I, I'd, I'd sort of tried to shield everybody around me from it. But uh, in doing that, it was just meant I internalized everything. And I, I, I you know, I must, I, you know, I've, I've spoken about it openly. I got to the point where I was real close to death. You know, I was, uh, I, you know, and I, and I, and the funniest, not funny, but the, the, the thing is that I realized that when I, when I got to that point, I realized I'd always been there. 
I'd always been that close to death, and uh, and until until it became bleeding obvious to me, um, I, I I tried to just run ahead and keep and keep in front of it. But in, in retrospect, I look back and I remember you know running away from home at eight years old and thinking about committing suicide, you know, thinking and not in the, not in that sort of big terms. It was just sitting at the end of a, a pier, you know, in in Glenelg in Adelaide, thinking I don't want to go home. I, you know, maybe I could just swim out. And, and not, not about dying, it's just not come back, you know. Um, but but that was from that's from early childhood. And then you know, and obviously you know, I you know there was there was other other times where it became obvious to me, but I but I I didn't know. That's the thing about this 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 last book, Killing Time. One of the one of the things about it is uh, these short stories, although they seemed when I wrote them all to be unrelated to any of this. I when I finished it, of course, I could see oh, they're all actually related to each other, and they're all related to these last books, and they were all like. Like like the world, the world sending up red flags saying you should look at this, you should be aware of this, and so there was a lot of these things I I sort of noticed, but I didn't pay any attention to as I was growing up. You know, I'm you know just things like uh, you know you know I, I you know I look at my my career as probably one of the longest you know public suicide attempts in in music history. You know, um, you know I you know because I I was just literally doing everything. That I shouldn't be doing to bloody stay alive, you know, and um, and and I got and it literally got to the point where that became not only just sort of unconscious, uh, it became stuff that I, I you know, I, I ended up you know hanging off a noose, you know, in in a hotel room, and when that happened, when I, when I got to that point, I realised that it wasn't a thing that I could sit and gather information anymore. I had no more time left to, to, to make this change, to make you know, to break this cycle. I had to get work to do it. And 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 I knew it was stuff that I didn't want to face. And, you know, and I'd had all the people telling me all this great, you know, like, you know, it's going to take courage, you know, courage, my friend, you know, I've got the painting, you know, but, you know all this sort of stuff. And... Um, and 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 I and I thought you know I always thought it was courageous I thought but it was more bravado I was full of bravado chest beating and all that sort of stuff and eventually I um you know I think I think I threw my hands up in the air and and I know that at that at that point when I when I discovered that noose in my cupboard that I'd been hanging and I remembered then after I seen it that I'd been hanging off it the night before then I, I threw my hands up and I asked for help and I think that that point in my life was the point where. The, for the first time in my life, I showed courage. You know, it was to ask. That was the most courageous, courageous thing I'd ever done was to ask for help. And and it suddenly, and and a whole, a whole you know, it, it wasn't easy, but a whole pile of things made more sense and, and opened up to me. You know, I went and seen a therapist. I started talking to to my wife. I started talking to my friends. I started talking to everybody really uh, about these issues because. And and the more I spoke about them, I realised the more. We had you know, more other people had in common. We, you know, I wasn't the only one that was you know struggling. We we're all struggling in a, in our own way, and I just think that, that that for me was was the big turning point, and um, and that's where I you know that's that's where I began to break the intergenerational cycle. I think my children. Uh, you know, as ba- as as much as I was passing on my trauma to them, they also had my wife there, who was who was incredibly well balanced. You know, in, in but she has her own problems in different ways, but incredibly well balanced. Well, one of them was me. Uh, was, <laughs> was incredibly well balanced and was giving these kids all these other tools to 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 be strong. But uh, but until I sorted myself out, you know, they were sort of they had they were half equipped to deal with life. And uh, and I think 
I, you can speak to them. I'm sure Mahalia or, or Jackie or any of them would talk to you. Uh, I'm, you know, I think the fact that I that I started to resolve these issues in my life, as it's like you know, updating your software. Their their software has been updated as well. So you know, uh, you know, it, it is about literally breaking that cycle, and you have to you have to consciously be aware that if you don't deal with it, the ones you love are going to be. Uh, either way you, you look at it. It seems incredible to me that a man who's had the success in a professional sense that you've had, you know, the mm -hmm. the front person for you, the, the most iconic Australian band of all time. And I can say that because no one from ACDC is returning the course to be on the show, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. Let's, we, we love, <laughs> I love Akadaka too. Yeah. <laughs> I know what you mean though. Yeah, they're not here, so it's good. <laughs> uh, so what I would say is that one of the things that I think about you, having read all your books and just hear you speak, about these things is perhaps the biggest legacy that you will leave aside from you know the creative art that you put out there is that you have opened up as you said the idea that everybody is experiencing a range of problems and yet so many of us have not spoken about them or kept them to ourselves or felt the idea that we need to present this perfect public image and you more than anyone who already had this public image that you could hide behind for you to go out and say not only do I need to deal with this myself but I'm going to tell everybody yeah. that what they were seeing wasn't the perfect thing that they might have imagined it was that I think it's an incredible thing that you've done so talk to me about talking about it right well you know but the, when you know I because the, the problem was I sort of painted myself into a corner in a way because you know it's you know I I, I didn't realize I was fleeing my past as much because I, I didn't look back I didn't think about it I just I had blinkers on and I was you know I was driven I was determined I was bloody hyperactive I was drug fueled I was you know I was I was born an alcoholic and and I didn't I didn't want to look at any of that behind me so I just kept charging forward and every time there was stumbled you know, I, I could feel it was like a chink in the armor. I could feel that like this is the end. But somehow I kept managed to pick myself up. But and so people would go, look, at him. he's successful. You know, he's drinking like a fish. He's acting like a lunatic, you know, and he's still got a good relationship and he's got kids. And, and I'm going, but it's all falling. And in my head, it's just I'm going, it's all falling apart. And, you know, and 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 I, and I talk about it in the books. I, you know, I, I can look back now and remember sitting, you know, every night I'd sit in and look in the mirror and say, you know, like, like, what's it going to take, right? You know, how long is you going to? How long are you going to keep going? How, what's it going to take to kill you? And and why are you still here? You know, you're hurting everybody around you. So I I was I was this tormented, twisted, dark person who um who you know I, I managed to keep a front up that you know that was that was to fool myself, but it fooled everybody else. And so people thought, oh, this was. And so I sort of felt a responsibility to talk about it, you know, um, because you know that whole blokey bloody toxic masculinity thing that's going on, you know, I sort of perpetuated that sort of whole stereotype and that whole, you know, uh, uh, and, and, and it wasn't, you know, and it was killing me and it was killing people I loved. And, 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 and I thought if I can get out and talk about it, you know, then, you know, because I know blokes, you know, that's, you know, we all say it, men don't like to talk, you know, really, you know, it's not, it's not the normal thing for us to do. You know, we are defensive and, you know, we're on to show signs of weakness. But, uh, but, but we, but like I said, and we have to show courage. That's, that's where we, that's where we will grow if we show courage. So I started to talk about it. Uh, and, and I think just the fact that, and like I said, when I wrote that first book, I was talking about it, but I literally was talking to myself. 
I, I was right. I wrote. I remember finishing that first book and thinking I could burn this now, this manuscript, and it's done its job. But the people, but I'd let a few people, like friends and and other, you know, people acquaintances, read some of it, and they all wanted to. They all sort of related to it and wanted to reach out to it. So I thought, well, you know, maybe people are going to learn from this. I didn't think, you know, there was a lot they could learn from me, but that they hadn't already. I've already given them enough bad lessons. <laughs> but but I thought if if I could start a conversation about some of this stuff, maybe and and it was it was sort of it was sort of miraculous in a way that I I remember you know going out and doing like um, just just book signings you know when you put your first book out you go out and you sit there and you sign books in, in bookstores and stuff and and men were coming up to me men particularly were coming up to me and stopping me in the street and breaking down and crying and saying I, you know I've just I need to talk about stuff you know I need to do this and I'm, I'm, I'm and I got to the point that it was so um, it was so in- incredible. The floodgates opened so much. I, I was I was printing up bits of paper with with you know numbers to call and and you know see psychiatrists, see therapists, you know, yes, because I wasn't equipped to help them all the time. But I was. I, I think that if, if nothing else happened from from me writing these books and 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 opening up myself, is that that it started a conversation is something that you know it, that outweighs any of the sort of rock and roll accolades and and, and all that sort of thing. If I've started a conversation that might stop families being torn apart or might stop men from tearing themselves apart which in turn you know knocks everything else around them down uh then then you know that's a really good legacy and I, and and I think that's something that's happened I 100% think that's something that's yeah. happened and you've had the capacity to access a group of people who wouldn't trust those messages if they came from you know other people in their lives or other people in society exactly. so uh when you're trying to get your head around it you talk about the idea of you know your family you talk about the idea of people like Deepak Chopra of studying you know different religions and philosophies this podcast at its heart I like to ask people if they have a life philosophy of any kind do you have yeah. one is there some sort of guiding principle that you have you know my, my, my philosophy my my, uh, my philosophy in life was always just charge ahead go you know pick yourself up and keep moving but it's changed you know my my, my you know I've realized now that the, probably the best lesson I've, I've learned in life is that it's never too late to change it's never too late to say you're sorry it's never too late to make things better and you know and when I say make things better just because you go out and say you know I'm sorry I've done this I, you know I've, 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 I've fucked up you know doesn't mean it's all going to be the way you wanted it it'll be better but it will be better you know if you if you can do it's never too late to make life better and to be able to live with yourself and and i thought that i i kept i kept painting myself further and further into the corner and there was no way back and i thought i'm just i'm you know i'm it's just a matter of time and it wasn't true you know and since i've opened up and since i've you know i've you know been brutally honest with my myself and and with the ones i love um uh life life's got better and 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 sometimes it's been really tough but it's got so much better <laughs> because what you're saying I think is very important as well because we live in a culture at the moment where people immediately want to cancel somebody for their bad deeds and of course people should be held accountable for the things that they do but yeah, absolutely. I think that if we don't offer people a path to redemption we're, we're living in a world where we think that you know we, we all fuck up and we're all going to do things in our lives yeah. unfortunately that will hurt people that we love that will hurt complete strangers sometimes intentionally sometimes completely unintentionally and as you just mentioned it's not enough to just admit that you fucked up and say that you're sorry it has to come yeah. with some yeah. 
you know, genuine work behind it and the idea that when you say to somebody that you're sorry, they might not accept that apology. Yes, and, and the thing is, and if, if nobody else grows from it, you know, that the, the, the act of owning your own shit is, will make you grow. It doesn't matter about anybody else around you. It doesn't matter about, you know, what you lose or what you gain. It's what you, if you grow in yourself from doing that, that and that's what that's what you need. That's what's going to make you a better person. That's what's going to make life easier. And, you know, and, and, and like I said, it might ultimately it might not turn out the way you pictured it, but it will be better. It's much better, much better than, than living in that, with that darkness and that fear and that, and that guilt and that shame. Uh, you know, I lived with shame and guilt all my life. And, and it was just, it was a horrible, it was a horrible weight on my shoulders. And, 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 you know, and, and I just disliked myself. Like I said, I couldn't look at myself in the mirror for, for as long as I've known, you know, I've tried, I've, you know, I, we, I, I remember I was one of the times, one of the many times I went to rehab trying to get myself together. Um, uh, somebody was saying, oh, you know, because they said, oh, it's abandonment issues. And I just went, bullshit, you know. After all this shit about, you know, oh, yeah, abandoned by your mother and, you know, like, this, don't pass it off, you know, own it. But I, but I realised I had this epiphany during one of these sessions in, in, in a rehab uh, centre in America, in Tucson, where I realised it was abandonment and I'd abandoned myself. I abandoned myself when I was very, very young and whether that was because of trauma that was happening around us. But I, I became this person who... Only, only wanted people to like them, and I would do anything that it took to, to be liked. And and that's an incredible tool if you want to be an entertainer, by the way. Uh, so so it's, it's very, very, it was very, you know. And and I and I could, I you could put me in, you could put me in with, you know, Buddhist monks in a cave in, in Thailand or in the headquarters of the Hell's Angels, and I would be like, <laughs> I, I could survive. And and I was, and I would did everything in between, you know. It was, you know, and and I had to stop trying to, and I realized that you know, part of part of owning and and and. And letting go of all that stuff and saying this is you know I, I I have to make myself a better person was finding who that better person was and not trying to be everybody else what everybody else wanted me to be. It's interesting to me how many lessons in this latest book, Killing Time, feel like it feels like a collection of stories about moments where you learnt something from someone and it can be anyone from Rosa Parks through to somebody who is living without a home on the street, you know, destitute who yeah. you have a conversation with and so w w how do you pick up knowledge from others? Are you an easy learner in those ways? Well, you know no, not really, because you know a lot of the times, uh, least a lot of these stories in this in this last book, you know, I mean, like I said, there were big flags, but I didn't see those flags, and some of them I just thought, oh, this is a funny story. I'll sit and write this, and then I'd get to the end of it, I go, oh shit, I should have seen that, you know. Uh, so some of these lessons were coming to me as I was writing the book. Um, uh, some of them I, I knew, but I didn't want to face. Um, I mean, um, there, there's you know there's a story there in there, you know, even even you know. The story about 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 you know um, sitting and talking to the lady in the street in 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 um, you know California. Uh, you know this all I wanted to do was go away and and I, I was in in the depths of addiction and the depths of alcoholism and and I was at the peak of my career. I had seven number one albums 
as a solo performer in a row. Uh, I could not, and I, I kept going, all right, what am I going to do now? What, when are they going to fucking see the real me and not like me? Uh, and, I, and, and I'd just go out and I'd get wasted, and, and I'd just, and I'd, I'd, but somehow I was surrounded by, I was in America recording with James Gadsden, uh, Reggie McBride. Reggie McBride played with Stevie Wonder, James Gadsden played with Marvin Gaye. I was with the best musicians in the world. I had Don Gaiman, who worked with Elvis, the Beach Boys, um, you know, Bee Gees, you know, everybody in the world, R.E.M., and had them all in my side, all on my team, and all I could think about was, they're going to see I'm a fraud, so I just got smashed every single day, because I felt unable, to, I was uncomfortable sitting with in, in the, the company, and and this particular day, I remember it was at 11 o'clock in the morning, and um, and uh, I, you know, as I said in the book, I literally, I, I was preparing myself for the day. I was, I was going to go. I said to Don Gaiman, who had his own problems, by the way. Don was a, a fantastic fellow who'd fought many demons. And he, he was, you know, used to go to AA and NA and everything with an A. You know, anything had an A and he'd go to. Uh, and probably I should have too. And I, and I must have tortured him because I would just, I, I, you know, he, I, he'd, ask, he'd ask me to go to an AA meeting with him. I'd just say, I'd rather stick pins in my eyes. You know, I'd, I'm not going to do it. But at 11 o'clock in the morning, I'd be planning my day. I'd be, I'd be, uh, um, you know, I was going to go out, but I was going to buy a bottle of vodka. You know, I was going to get money out of the ATM so I could buy drugs. And I was sort of pissed off because I knew drug dealers wouldn't be awake till at least 12. And, you know, they, you know any self-respecting drug dealer should know if they could get up early, they'd sell a lot of drugs. You know, and I was, you know, I was just pissed off. And I, and I, I remember walking at the studio and it was in a fairly bad part of town. Uh, I didn't know the area well, but it wasn't nice and a bit threatening. So I kept my head down and I'm walking down. It's about over 100 degrees and I could hear this voice, excuse me, sir, excuse me, sir. You know, I'd like to, you know. Can I talk to you? And I looked down and there's a little tree, it's you know, four feet high or something, and this woman sort of hiding in the shade. And she was grey, her hair was grey, her face was grey. And she just, but she had this light in her eyes. And, and I thought, oh, you know, oh God, what am I going to do here? I just want to go and get vodka. I just want to run. I don't want to, I don't want to see anybody or talk to anybody. And she's going, oh, you know, could you? And I go, look, I haven't got any money. I cut her off and, I, you know, my wallet was empty. Look, I've got no money. I'm, I'm actually, you know, I'm on the way to get some vodka, you know. I'm just And I sort of brushed her off a bit. But I kept, but I kept thinking about seeing her sitting, you know, what, you know, because I was afraid in these streets, and I thought, how, why is a woman like that? You know, how how safe can she feel? And I could see this light in her eyes, so I went up and I, I got my vodka and I and I got you know lots of money out of the ATM, and I'm walking back, and I could see her, and she's looking, she could see me coming. I'm going, oh shit, I'm going to have to talk. I didn't want to, you know, and I, and so I I stopped for a minute, and she was looking up at me, and the light was bright, the sun, you know, so I squatted down next to her, and you know, I was going to wait for a story. You know, I knew I'd have to take a bit in because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a decent person at heart, and I just thought oh, I'll sit there. And she started just talking to me, and I said, "What are you, what are you doing here?" And she was selling. She, she was an art teacher. She was painting, on, on like jam tin wrappers and and bits of cardboard she found in dumpsters and stuff. And they were, you know, they were okay paintings. They were little snippets of her life, you know, like rainbows and things like this. And I'm going, oh, you know, yeah, yeah, no, I'll, I'll buy a couple, you know, no worries. I was trying to get away because all I wanted to do was get wasted and not. I didn't want to feel anything, you know. That was my that was my main driving force of my life. I didn't want to feel. And um, and she went, oh, no, no, I don't, just take take them. I don't want to, don't want to, you know, I don't want anything from you. You've given me enough. And I'm going, what are you, what are you talking about? And at this point, I'm realising what's going on here, you know? So at this point, I thought, well, I'm going to have to talk to this woman longer. So I sat down in the dirt with her and she started telling me, you know, she said, you've given me enough, you know, 
being on the street, people don't even look me in the eye. I'm not a human anymore. They don't look me in the eye. Um, you know, you've, you've sat and spoke to me. It's, you know, nobody's done that in years. You know, she said, she said, and I realized, because she said, I had everything, you know, I had a life. I was an art teacher. I was married. I had kids. And I'm thinking about, yeah, well, you know, I've got a career. I've got all this going on. She said, and it just was pulled out from under me. You know, my husband died tragically and, and my kids didn't care. And they, they had their own lives to live. And I looked at her and I, and, and it was, I was just sitting there and I just thought, you know, but they, you know, by the grace of God, I am, you know, I, you know this, I've got everything and it could all be gone the way I'm behaving, you know, it could all be gone so easily. And, and I sat there with her and the more I sat with her, the more I wanted to feel, you know, I, I know I just for then, I just didn't want to just get drunk and take drugs and not feel. I sat and I sat and spoke to her for ages and I just, and I started to make, I could feel myself feeling and being and and it was like this window this light had opened up on me and and I, I just I gave her all the money I had and just you know took all the paintings and you know I said look and she said no I, I said no I want you to take it you know and I, and I took her paintings and I stuck them up in the studio I went back at the studio and I, and I didn't I, I realized I didn't want to get drunk by by midday I didn't want to be stoned I, you know I wanted to I wanted to be in the present and feel and it only lasted for a while for a day or something but um but it was the first step one of these steps and I, w- I walked out later that day to see if she was still there and she was gone and it was it was like an angel you know she there was this woman who who took me from the darks you know where I, I had locked everything out around me nobody could get in not even my wife no one could get in and nobody was ever going to get in and this win- this woman gave me a window into my own heart and it was just you know, I, I wanted to feel again and uh, and I you know and and when I started writing the story and I started to realize because I was I thought it was a nice story and it was just about you know how it was a reflection of how your life could be but that that epiphany about about beginning to feel was something I realised as I wrote the story. It's uh, something you said there I think will resonate with a lot of people, which is this idea of what if people know what I'm really like? They might not like me. Oh, yeah. So mm. I, I hope I know the answer to this, but I think that people know now a lot more what you're really like. Do you feel that people like you any less for that? I don't think so. And, the, you know, the good thing is I don't care as mm. much. You know, I mean, because uh, it's, it's not as important to me anymore. But, you know, it's, it's important to me to, to, find, to find myself uh, more. Uh, and I don't want to be too hippy-dippy about it, you know. It's the I right mean, place but, for it, Matt. Uh, if you uh, want to be hippy-dippy, you've come to the right show. <laughs> this is the place for my show. But you know what I mean? I mean, I, I spent my whole life, um, you know, measuring my own self-worth externally mm-hmm. you know and it was always if people like me I was okay if people bought my records it was alright if my wife thought it was okay it was okay but it, it didn't matter that I didn't like me uh, so I, I try I try not to, to even think about whether people I, I think people do like me more no, because of it, because I'm I'm honest, you know, uh, and and uh, and and you know you whether you know people always you, I respect people who are honest whether I like them or not is another story. So uh, so I, I hope people can respect me for what I'm doing and give me space to be myself. But uh, but I don't I don't measure my own self worth on whether they like me or not anymore. And and that's freed me up uh, incredibly emotionally. Uh, it, it's changed the way I I've, I speak to people. It's changed the way I I. 
engage with people. It's in, it's in, it's changed the way I, I relate to my children. It's changed the way I I write. I tell I tell stories. The way I write songs. The the way I sing. You know, I used to I used to I used to have a pretty good. You know, I, you know, I could I could you know I I remember singing. I was lucky that I. Had, had was in that that band with coaches or with Don Walker writing great lyrics and great songs, and I used to sit and think, you know, I used to think Don's songs are so personal for me, you know. I'd sing them, you know, about being standing on the outside and not fitting in and and all that sort of stuff, and I'd think, you know, fuck, you know, Don's been reading my mail, you know. He really, you know, he, he he's these songs are written for me to sing, and you know, and it's it's a match made in heaven and all sort of stuff. And I and I and I realize now that you know the, that's why the, so many people relate to those songs. It's because everybody thinks they're written for them, <laughs> and that's the beauty of a good song. You know, I mean, I I you know I realize that, that there's a lot of people just like me out there, and 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 me. A lot of them live vicariously through my sort of heyday of going crazy and stuff. But I didn't want to leave them with that same, you know. I, I if that's why I talk talk about it, and that's why I write about it now. It's because I want, that, you know, if everybody else was living like that, and they're, now they're now they're just seeing me falling apart, they, I wanted them to know that this this for the better. This is a good change, and and that they can change too. So when you and not everybody, not everybody's as bad as I was. <laughs> way, so. so when you say you judge yourself more by when you're proud of yourself now, when you feel good about yeah. the actions that you're taking. So I'm going to ask yeah. you a question. Then look, I don't know. It might be a tricky question to answer, but when do you feel most proud of yourself? You know, um, uh, you know, I've been, I've been sort of, I've, I've been been able to sort of sit at peace, you know, and you know, when I can sit, and you know, and I'm, you know, I used to, I used to sort of be busy in my head all the time, and you know, and you know, and, and I'll be, I'm writing a book, and you know, and and I've got grandkids and all this great life I built around me, and I'm writing about, you know, you know, growing and learning, and and the kids would say, oh, come out and play football. Hang on, I'm writing, you know, I'm writing and growing and learning. You know, recently, you know, even since writing Killing Time, I was still writing, and and my grandson said, oh, come and come and kick the football with me, and you know, and I said, I'm busy, and I said. No, I'm not. No, you know, and I and I, I stopped and I thought, what am I think? What am I doing? This is these are the moments that you treasure, you know, the moments that he will remember. So I just stopped, but I was in the middle of writing something, you know, quite really good. But I thought this is much more important. And I went out and I, and I kicked football with my, my grandson for an hour. And you know what? And I felt like a good human being. And I felt like I was growing. And I could see the joy in his eyes. And it was a it was one of those moments. So many moments like that I've missed in my life, and that's when I when I when when I feel like that, you know, and and, and stupid things, you know, like I, you know, I'm, you know, we've got we've got beautiful. We live in the Highlands down here. We've got beautiful gardens, and I used to walk in. Yeah, yeah, it's great to be here. Where is it? <laughs> now I can walk out. I can walk out there, and and literally I can sit and I'll look and I'll go look at that flower, you know, and I'll look at it, and 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 I can sit and 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 appreciate. A simple thing like a flower, which you know, you could have put the Taj Mahal in front of me uh, when 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 I was in my my, my worst, and I ever gone, yeah, yeah, it's all right. Where's the, where are we going now? Yeah, now I can sit and 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 be and look at something, even something inanimate, and look at it and see the beauty in it, where I just missed it all before. And and when I when I feel that, that makes me proud to be to be a, a, a person because there's just so much beauty out there, and there's so much. Thing. There's so much to appreciate if you just leave yourself open to see it. So I'm very interested. I've moved back to the country. I'm living in rural New South Wales at the moment, and uh, yeah. I 
love it, but uh, the, the yeah. practicalities of life, like living outside the city, get enforced upon you. You have to do some more things yourself. You have to be able to look after things yourself. Are you a yeah. practical person? Like, are you a good? Do you get out and about and fix things and repair? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm. You know, as much as I'd like to say yes, I'm, I'm the only thing. The only thing really handy about me is that I live here. You know? Um, <laughs> you know, but but I'm pretty, I'm pretty good in the garden. You know, I'm a, I'm a good slave. You know, Jane, Jane's really good, and you know, but she knows if she gets, she, you know, if it comes to anything like fixing things, it could end up worse than it started. But I like to go and have a go now, whereas before I wouldn't. I am pretty good in the garden, and uh, and you know, I've started doing, I've started getting, like getting, you know, great joy or just you know, getting the flowers growing and. And you know, be able to pick a beautiful bunch of flowers. Take them. And you know, I, I never, you know, I, I said this to someone the other day, and I never thought I would admit this to a soul in the world. But I'm a good flower mm. arranger. Who fucking knew that? You know, but where did that come from? So, so I, you know, I'm, I, this, I have got talents. I'm still discovering, but uh, I'm, I wouldn't call me handy. <laughs> uh, so, family is a constant theme in your life, uh, yeah. in your work. You, but you speak so lovingly of the relationship that you have with Jane. You speak. So so lovingly of the family that you guys have created together. And you, of course, you know, kept much of that family so close to you, uh, you know, in your life, you've performed, you know, with members of your family, you've had them as be as part of your career, you know, you've lived, you know, in extended family situations. Like you seem like someone who prioritizes family as being an extremely important thing. So talk to me about, you know, why that is and what your relationship to family is. Well, I think part of that was came it came from that trauma as a child, you know, where I, I I didn't want, you know, everything I didn't have as a child. You know, my my family, you know, my my siblings. I remember my my brothers and sisters. You know, we we were just left and and we were you know you know neglected and 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 badly treated, and 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 we were just we we were like clinging as a family all the time. And this, you know, like that's the kids. We would be us against the world, but you know, as soon as any one of us got a chance to get away, we would flee. You know, because it was it was not safe, and it was you know, and, and every time if, if you know my brother left or my sister left or whatever, we'd be thankful for them, you know, because they you know they'd got away from it. Um, I didn't. I never wanted my kids to feel that, that. I always wanted my my home to be something that was open and and safe and and, uh, and you know and, and 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 in a lot of ways it was, but but until until I got myself together, it really had its own had its own energy to deal, you know, bad energy to deal with as well. I realised, you know, you know, I you know I was you know abused as a child, beaten, I was bloody you know sexually abused and all sorts of stuff. And I realised that the you know I I abused my kids in a different way by by you know them just seeing me. They, they, because kids have, you know, they can see you, <laughs> they can see, you. and then seeing the, me destroying my myself constantly for for forty years or whatever, thirty years, um, was 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 a different form of abuse. So I always wanted to not have my kids go through what I went through, but uh, but I put them through something else, and and that's that's part of the, you know, when, you know, when you say, you know, do you like yourself now, and do you look at your, you know, where you are, and are you, are you proud of yourself? I'm proud that I'm changing, but I but I can't be proud of what how I was, but I can't let that drag me back to to being you know something that's not better for my kids. So if I can look at that and say, look that was that was horrible, but I need to grow and and use that as a tool to move forward and be a better human being, then that's going to be something that's valuable. 
I loved in the book learning. I feel like you know there was a lot of stuff about Jane or that features Jane in in the book. You know, a lot of these stories are around yeah. her life, your relationship with her, experiences that you've had together, and you know, I think we get a yeah. really great sense of you know part of the role that she's played in your life. But if you don't mind, like, talk to me about why is it that you two you know, work together? What is it about your relationship that has made it, you know, so successful for you? Um, you know, uh, I think, you know, there's that, there's that thing, you know, it's that thing about, you know, you know, I, I went and seen the Van Gogh, uh, exhibition the other day, you know, uh, and, and he, and he was talking about, uh, you know, two colors, you know, using colors. He said two colors can be so different, but put together, they, they make each other shine and make each other work. And and I think relationships are like that, you know. We, you know, you, I, you know, you don't. I don't think it's ideal to, to be going out with someone who's just like you, you know. But I don't know if that's healthy because uh, you know they talk about the opposites attracting all that sort, attracting all that sort of stuff. I think that Jane and I have both had really strong attributes. You know, she's incredibly, you know, focused. Um, you know. Uh, disciplined, um, um, loving, uh, confident, uh, safe, feels safe in herself, you know, likes her own company. And I was, I was evident the opposite, but I was also impulsive. I was driven. I was bloody aggressive. I was, you know, I, you know, and they put us together and we made something that was complete. Uh, uh, and that can only last so long, you know, because, you know, you have to get what you get. These two colors, if you wash together, are going to end up brown. <laughs> you know? So, uh, so, uh, or, or something, you know, but, uh, but so, you know, you have to be able to have those, we have to be able to have, and I guess what's happened now since, you know, why, where we've grown to is that we, where, where those colors were all, fit, we're all washing together and it was, you know, getting, it was ugly, you know, we've, we've now defined boundaries, which is, is, is something that I think no matter any relationship needs boundaries and, and Jane waited a long, long time for me to even know what a boundary was was you know i because one of one of the things i never learned from my my parents had no boundaries it was just out of control there was absolute chaos and and i grew up with that and there was you know if i want to do this i'm going to do it I, you know if I, if I want something i take it if i don't want it i you know smash it you know and 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 i had to learn boundaries that not only protected people around me but protected myself and and protected the one i love and 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 i think you know the, um, as much as we loved each other ha until the day that those boundaries were defined uh that our relationship was always in danger and and i think that that that's the yeah, and the boundaries don't mean you know it's all then they're not flexible but you just have to be able to communicate and 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 jane's jane's always been one who's been sitting waiting for me you know tapping her fingers going when are you ready when are you going to be ready to talk <laughs> and i'm going no i don't want to talk. i don't want to face it and, you know um so um but she's incredible you know i mean even i talk in in, in killing time there's a story in there called hold my hand and um and I just, you know, it's, it, it was one of those things where, you know, you know, I was, like I said, I was always full of bravado, you know, I did martial arts, you know, came from a boxing family, I'm a tough guy, all this sort of shit, you know, <laughs> and, you know, macho bullshit. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I was really, I, I was frightened of everything. I was scared of the dark. I was, you know, you know, but, you know, I was scared of it and I couldn't see it. But, but if you put something in front of me, I'll charge at it, you know, because my only defense is attack. Uh, so Jane, Jane knew that I was afraid of everything, and and we were we we were doing some shows. We do these shows. We've done them a few years in a row now in the Maldives, um, and it's really beautiful. And we go there, and we do a little show every night 
on on the beach at sunset. But during the day, we'll go out and we go like surfing or go, you know. And, and you know, this is me. Learned to surf at sixty, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, it's not attractive to humans, you know. But uh, but uh, but we go out and we went we went um like one day with this day we went out on the boat and we went swimming with manta rays and sharks, right? And I was absolutely terrified. And we had the the the, the promoters sent this this young girl who was like a surf uh, sea photographer. She was really good. And she dived in the water after Jane and I, and she and she took photos. And when we came up, she said to me, she said, I was so great the way you were holding Jane's hand, you know, because she was afraid. And of course, you know, she's an attractive girl. And I'm sort of like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, what a fraud, you know. And I had, and I'd sat for a little while and the boat was going back and it was quiet. And I had to go up to her and I had to say, you know what, you know, the, the, truth, the truth is Jane swam down and held my hand because she knew I was afraid, you know. And I'd been afraid all my life. And, uh, and um, you know... I, I'm not as afraid these days. I mean, uh, I'm still I'm still afraid of, of you know of irrational things, but I'm not as afraid. And my fear doesn't make me dangerous. My fear before made me dangerous to myself and to everybody because I would if if it was like you know like a corner corner thing, you know, I'd, I'd lash out. And I don't because I'm not as afraid constantly anymore. I tend to get get to be you know be more reasonable and think about things first before before I react. And and that's helped make me a better person too. Uh, one of the things you write so beautifully about, uh, well, certainly I, you know, it really touched me in Killing Time is uh, the relationship and the passing of your dogs. Um, oh, man. It's, it's, I mean, as a dog owner myself, I'm surprised that the actual, normally the dogs will burst in mid one of these yeah, podcasts. Yeah, so I haven't that. seen them so far today. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, I it just it, talk to me about, you know, that pet relationship and, you know, why you wanted to share that in the book. Well, you know, the dogs, the dogs were, was the, you know, that, that sort of, you know, pure love, you know, they, you know, my dogs, you know, we had, they were 16 years old. They, you know, they both died, but Oliver died about a year ago and Snoop about six months before that. And they were 16 and 16 and a half years old. And those dogs had been with me through the darkest and, and the best days of my life. They'd sat there, you know, when, when the rest of the world just thought I was an asshole, you know, and, and they were happy to see me and, and they made me, you know, made me feel warmth, you know, even when, when Jane didn't want to talk to me, the dog still did, you know, um, uh, and, and, and at the time when I, you know, and they'd seen that they were there, they were, they'd been through so much with us, you know, they'd come to funerals of friends, they'd been, you know, we went and protested, I've got photos and we went and protested, you know, against the mistreatment of people on Manus Island and the dogs were there with me, you know, they were like one of the bite politicians. Um, there was, it was, you know, they'd been through the, all the ups and downs, they'd seen, the, they were there to greet the grandkids when they came the first grandkids they were part of all these parts of our lives and and when it came to writing the books you know I because Jane knew how important that first book was you know to me she could see me because I'd be a, a, a gibbering mess by the end of every day writing it uh, and the dogs were the only ones who could sit in with me and they they were sat there with me and the, you know I'd, I'd read it to them and wag their tails or whatever um, <laughs> but they were they were just they, they were, it was a pure unadulterated unconditional love and and I and and you know and my love was always with conditions <laughs> you know my you know I love everybody but if you don't do what I want you know then uh, then maybe I won't love you you know and it was so so the dogs were you know you know they weren't the only ones obviously that showed me this but the dogs were the most shining and blatant example of unconditional love I'd ever seen and letting go they when they died you know it was uh, they you know they 
you know, I, I didn't, I didn't want to let them go. I, I was one of the, I, there was a friend of mine who told me, he said, when he, when he's, if his dog doesn't matter if it's just a head on a skateboard, he's going to keep it alive, you know? Uh, and I, you know, cause I did the dogs, I, I needed them. And, and when they died, it taught me about letting, it was about letting go, you know? Um, I remember, you know, because their vet, who who was a, a dear friend, uh, who who um, who had been with them for years, I I told her, look, because they were getting old and they were starting to get sick, and I'm saying, look, she's going at some point, you're going to have to, you know, do you know, do the right thing. I'm saying, don't talk to them. I'm never going to let them go. You know, these are my dogs. And I tell Jane, I don't want to talk about it. You know, I don't want to hear about this. But I knew that about love and about friendship at some point it was going to take you know me to do something for them and 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 over the last you know 18 months I, I'd lost them both and um and I had to hold them in my arms and make that decision that to take you know because they were in so much pain and it was life was so bad for them that I had to help them move with dignity and and I just it broke my heart you know it really broke my heart and um you know, it was it was it was part of my growth. You know, to, and and those dogs, you know, with such you know beautiful, unconditional love, you know, taught me and, and gave me the the courage to go through and do that. Yeah. A death so is you know, it broke yeah. my heart. <laughs> uh, mate, I couldn't. I was crying reading it. I just yeah. like we we had a couple of pets die in the last couple of years, and it just absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah. And and Amy and I mostly these days with the dogs just have decided that we're we're both going to die before the dogs die. that's now the position we look at it. I, I, you know, everybody was going, "Oh, you've got to get a new dog. You've got to get you know you can you know replace the love and all that sort of stuff." And I, you know, I can't. I don't do it. I don't want to do it because I want to feel the, the pain because you know I want to feel that because that's what the love was about too so I want to feel that there were there's something missing you can't just replace it uh, and I don't, I don't know if I'll ever get another dog I mean my daughter is living with me Ellie Mae's living with me she's got a little schnauzer as well which which mine were and I sort of and I'm you know and I pet it and I treat it you know to, you know, I love it so but uh, but I don't want another dog on my own because I want to I want to place the importance that they that they had in my life and keep that in my heart I have their ashes on my on my mantelpiece in my bedroom and I talk to them every night, and I've got bits of bits of their fur from their haircuts, you know, and I, and I can still smell them. But uh, it's just, um, it, they, you know, uh, I, you know, it was a, it was about a, that, that fear of letting go, that fear of you know, a, you know, of of being loved, a fear of you know, of, of everything. Those dogs represented to me, so it was it was really it was really quite a, a huge growth thing for me, and and they shared it with me, and uh, that's why you know they dedicated the books to them and wrote the stories for them. You, know? you talk about uh, this idea that for a very long time, you know, you were running towards death, and. Yeah. You know, how do you think about death now? Like, does death enter your thoughts now? Does it enter your thoughts in a different way? What's your relationship with the idea of death? Well, I'm not. I'm not scared. You know, I'm not scared. I'm, I'm not. You know, I'm not religious. You know, I, you know. If I if I ever say a prayer for it, and it's just you know, if you're right there, whatever you are right there, whether it's the universe or whatever it is, you know, help get you know help get through this or whatever. But I don't. I don't. You know, particularly believe in you know religion. I don't know. I, I don't think that we've come back as you know as anything. I think our energy goes on. Uh, but I'm not worried about it. I used to think you know uh, that uh, you know uh, you know I don't want to go without with, without you. I'm not. I'm not 
not going to go with that without this. But you know, it's just something that happens. You can't. It, uh, my my my. You know, I'm I'm not afraid. It's like the dark. You know, I'm not afraid of the dark as anymore. You know, I, you know, I'm still wary, but I'm not afraid of it. Um, I I don't know what to expect from death. I don't know. I'm not running towards it, but I'm not afraid. I'm not trying. You know, to be eternally young. <laughs> which was part, which was one of the thing one of the things I was trying to run I was running headlong into the fucking abandonment and death you know when when I was when I was you know at the you know the peak of all this addiction and stuff but at the same time I was trying to keep hold of this youth and and and, and acting like a like a sixteen year old you know uh, so it was a real it was a real sort of confusing time so now I'm just I'm trying to act like a, like the, like my age without being born a shit and uh, and, uh, and 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 do things. Um, you know, and I think because I'm acting my age, I think I'm feeling my age. I started to touch on this before. You know, in coaches or with, with singing Don's lyrics, I could relate to him, but and I could easily, you know, if I wanted to, I, I could, I could tap into feeling. I was particularly good at tapping into feeling anger. You know, I could I could get really angry and aggressive on stage. If I had to, I could feel love, uh, but it was difficult. You know, when I sang. Uh, now, when I sing, you know, I you know I I you know. I don't have to be in the depths of of those that emotional roller coaster to be. Uh, now, when I sing, if I, you know, if I if I feel something in a lyric, I, I immediately go there. It's so easy, and I, and it, I think I'm a much better singer because of it. And you know, it's just like I'm a better human being because of it. I'm 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 allowing myself to be able to feel and recognize. Um, that you know, um, the, the you know, I, I, I can still I can still do anger very easily. By the way, I'm a Glaswegian, <laughs> so so, uh, so I don't I you know I just I I I have I feel like I feel like I've suddenly got a, a whole you know new range of colours in my palette to sing with you know and and I think that's what I'm what I'm like as a human too uh, you know I'm I'm you know I still I, I don't I'm not running. From death or clinging to youth, I'm just living. I feel I feel I can sit in the moment, which is a really good feeling. And and the most important thing in, in life for me now is just being. It's not, you know, what's coming next, or you know, or what's going to, or, or when's the past going to catch me? You know, uh, it's about now. It's just about living now. I was lucky enough to see. I, I was not quite uh, of the right age or living in the right part of the world to see cultures or the first time around but uh, you know five yeah. or six <laughs> years ago or whenever it was I'm not good with times but you guys were doing a huge national tour and you played the entertainment centre in Sydney uh, maybe even the yeah, last yeah, time yeah. people yeah, played yeah. the entertainment centre and a friend of mine in, yeah, you know, we invited, were, yeah. invited me to the show and uh, it was well, it was just a, a stunning, an amazing performance. Like, really just, you know, it looked like I can't imagine this was any better back in the day than it was when you were doing it then. How was you know it different? Uh, but, you know, there was, uh, we, we've actually got an album coming out uh, in, in the next few weeks recorded live in 1979 at the bomb, uh, Bondi Lifesavers. It was a club in Sydney. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when the band was really, really at its most, you know, um, powerful peak. Uh, the band has got the band is much much better now than it was back then. But but there's an energy that we when when we played in 1978 79 that we know after playing eight shows a week for for you know seven eight years uh, every night, been tra- traveling every day. 
we were so much fit that we were incredibly incredibly intense. It was just this record. You'll laugh when you hear it because we we just play Everton so fast and so intense <laughs> and so precise. It's an amazing band, but but it, the band changed. You know, when we broke up in 1983, we thought you know we were one of those bands where we're leaving it at, at our peak. We're not gonna. We're not gonna come back and milk it, you know. And it wasn't until 1997 where somebody said, you know, you know, you might have some unfinished business. And and it literally felt like that. And we went in the studio and we uh, and and we made a record. And it was, I think, it was probably the best record we made. Uh, um, Last wave of summer. It was one of the best records we've ever made. And uh, and I remember getting in there and and immediately feeling. I knew exactly why, you know, this band was so good but I knew exactly why I left as well it was like there was all this ten- all this tension and stuff but but the band had so much fi- unfinished business because the band, the band was sort of a mirror of our lives you know um, I mean I think by the time you've probably seen it as the entertainment centre I was I was starting to come to the uh, head of you know of you know of dealing with, with this stuff all, all this life and it was so there was moments windows where it was re- there was really emotional there was minutes where it was really intense and there was bits where it was just ridiculous aggressive uh, but but that was the, the band was a mirror was like a mirror for me you know uh, uh, and 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 every time every time coaches or you know we get in the same room you know I feel this sort of this mirror of my life and so um, you know they're a great great band um, I, th- I think we just did our last shows on that last tour because I think we've sort of resolved everything between us now and we're, you know we're happy uh, but in saying that you know I mean they're they're, they're, they're the the, the, the greatest band I've, I've ever played with and you know if we and if the opportunity arose to do one show somewhere maybe we'd do it but I don't think we'll ever tour again so I think you caught us at a good time I uh, remember I remember the entertainment center because we we had the, when the last stand was was when when it opened up and mm-hmm. we you know around that same time and we held the record for the most shows in a row of, of anybody until many years later where Elton John broke it and then the, the closing weekend we played uh, three or four maybe five shows and then Elton John was doing the final show and I, I remember the last night just saying you know hey we built this place we paid for it let's tear it down <laughs> and that's and that's literally the attitude we had when we were you know, take the fucking seats with you when you go <laughs> uh, you talk about the idea of unfinished business do you feel like you still have unfinished business Oh, I, no, I, but I feel like I've got business. I feel like um, I, I think I think that I haven't hit my peak. Uh, I think that the best work I'm going to do is still to come. I feel because I, I, I just feel, I, you know, before talking to you, I've sat I've sat in my in my study there and I've started writing a a, a chapter for for, for a, a fiction book. Uh, I wrote two sets of lyrics that I've, I've written a song for this morning I'm doing an album with my kids um, and it's a very important record um, it, it, it's going to be called Flesh and Blood uh, and, and it's an album with all the family and I, I think I wrote the title track this morning uh, and so I feel like I'm hitting my stride and I feel like I'm uh, I'm singing better than I ever have I feel like I'm more in touch with myself as a, as a, as a human being and I think because of that my best work's you know right in front of me I'm very interested in how you've approached uh, the pandemic. You're like you and your family have been entertaining people online. You know, you've been yep. you know putting art out. Still, the audiences have been taken away for a little while. Speak to me about uh, where you think the arts is viewed in Australia at the moment, and how you think w- the arts will come out of the current time that we're going through. Uh, it's it's you know it's a it's one of those things. It's how long is a piece of string? Uh, the um, 
the arts you know you know it's like like a lot of industry a lot of a lot of you know you know entertainment food uh ballet dance you know classical music rock music a lot of that the the the, the real the carpet's been pulled out from under it you know people we we don't survive without people you know we we need audiences you know i was i'm you know i've been doing a project with um richard tonietti from the aco the australian chamber orchestra and they're just having a terrible time because they rely on on live performance and 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 funding and 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 that's all gone and and every aspect of the of the arts is struggling because you know i mean i was talking there's a there's a podcast that did with my with one of my production managers sneaky pete his name is peter mcphee and he's a he's a great production manager and he made a point to me he said you know that when we put a show on you know you think you know there's there's hundreds of people on the show you know whether they're the riggers whether they're the follow spot operators whether they're the 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 um the stage builders whether they were the truck drivers whether they were the the concession sellers whether they merch people and a lot of those people that we were working with were the best in the industry and every time every single tour that came in from overseas or every big australian band they pulled these people together and they had the best team in the world to do them and a lot of those people they weren't on JobKeeper, and they were they were you know they, they're not getting that and they've gone other places now to try and find work and we might not get them back. So I don't know if the industry is going to ever really be the same again. I think it will. I think obviously mu- music is such an and, and the arts are such an integral part of people's lives that of course we're going to be in there. Um, you know, and 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 it's one of those. It's really it's it's a fluid situation. You know, we've been wanting to tour for you know. All right, we're going to tour next month. No, we're going to tour next month. You know, I've, I've seen you know with Guy Sebastian or whoever they're they're booking gigs for next December. You know, and even then they're not sure they're going to be able to do them we don't know how this pandemic is going to pan out and as long as it goes on and as long you know and i know that the government can't fund everton but you know the arts seem to be bottom of the list uh uh you know uh, entertainment seems to be the bottom of the list you know uh you know you look at the abc and and people like that they're just you know that's with the money where people the, the much should be going in to help you know step you know the arts are what get people through the arts are what you know what bring people in touch with their emotions, uh, uh, and and that's not happening. So I, I don't know how it's going to turn out. As far as what we've been doing in in, pan, in since the pandemic, I I, I realised you know COVID taught me some great lessons as well. I was you know I finished I've, I've done since the first book I've toured for four years basically four and a half years. Uh, just before uh, COVID hit, I've done a, a major my, my criminal record tour and then straight back to back into the cold chisel tour, and I was going to take six eight months off and and regroup and think about what i wanted to do and and of course my plan was to write a book i'll write a book you know just you know, it's like what's the next project i'm going to write a book uh and i was going to go and i was going to travel the world and just keep running and keep moving and you know and it was, it was the same old same old i was still doing the same things just keep moving and, and try not to sit still and feel too much and and we, we we got to Thailand the first week away, and COVID closed in all around us, and we had to come home. And Jane and I, uh, since you know, end of February, you know, we've never, and since we've been together, you know, forty years, have never sat still for six months. We've never been in one place for six months. Doesn't matter where it is, always been on the move. And and this this pandemic has made us sit and 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 think. 
and sit and be, like I said before. So part of my this 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 uh, um, uh, uh, COVID, you know, has been has been part of my growth. Um, we when we started, you know, we're sitting there and we realized, you know, we we realized that we were okay because we had had grandkids staying in the house and uh, you know it's it's, um, you know, it's in a nice area. But I realized a lot of my friends were were like they're they're. All the kids were overseas. They were they were out of touch with their friends. They weren't allowed to, in, like in Melbourne particularly, they weren't allowed to get close. Uh, we were in really lucky situations. So we thought, we'll just, you know, maybe we'll do a couple of songs, you know, just to keep people, like, like just to t- let people know that we're all, in, all the same. We're all reaching out. So we started doing songs. And, of course, you know, after four and a half years of doing touring in my own, so I didn't want to sing it and that, that, I, that it was my songs and stuff. So we just... Started, you know, God knows where the songs came from. You know, one minute we're doing Bob Dylan, next minute we're doing Doris Day. You know? <laughs> but, but literally, you're singing, you know, Secret Love, and I, you know, and I'm going, why did I know that song? Because of my sister used to sing it, or my mum, you know. Uh, so we've done songs, and, and and it was just to just sort of, to, to reach out to people to say, you know, there was we was nothing we were getting, you know, there's no value in doing it except that it was it was fun. And I've all, like I said, I've always wanted that that I needed that stimulation of being in front of a crowd and adoring people to make me want to be a singer and I found I'm sitting singing at home with my wife and and I'm singing better than 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 you know and finding new voices new parts of my voice that I've never used so I'm sitting here and and in the in the process of that I'd, I'd sing at night and write book during the day and 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 it, it, so it became a huge part of my growth and and covid made me sit still in my house and be <laughs> so a lot of a lot of my growth in the last 6 months has come from being just just fixed and not being able to go anywhere if you uh, you speak of all these songs, I'm very interested in the idea of, as a comedian, I often look at other comedians and think, oh, I wish I'd written that routine. I wish yeah, yeah. I'd had that you know, original thought. That's so brilliant. Yeah. Is there a song that you just wish that was your song, that you'd written that song, if you could pick one? Um, there's, there's been a whole bunch of them, actually. There's one, uh, uh, I think it's a Dusty Springfield song. Um, it's probably written by a, her husband called Going Back. And and, and and when I sang it, uh, you know, because I remember I, I'd actually stuck it on when I did the working class boy tour. I, the, 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 my out, I made this tape of all these songs my mum used to sing and stuff before. So people come in and they'd be getting Tom Jones and all this to put them in the mood for the, the time. And and for some reason, I stuck this song going back uh, as the song that came on after the show finished. And it was, I think I'm going back. And it's, and I, and I, and I, I said to Jane, oh, we should do that. And she's going, oh, you know, I don't know. And I said, no, nah, I'd like to sing that. So she let the chords and she's, she's great. She's, she's, you know, she's a really quite accomplished guitar player. Now. And, and I sang it and, and it really, it was, I suddenly realised this was a song I needed to sing in lockdown. And it was, you know, for that alone, uh, it's just such a beautiful mel- melody about, you know, about, you know, looking back on your life and looking back on the good, the bad and the ugly. And, uh, and it was, uh, and, you know, I, I probably will write it, but in a different form. You know, I, I, I want to write. I want to write that 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 feeling in a different form. Uh, you know, because it was about. You know, it was a really it was a really nice. But the, in saying that, you know, we did songs like we, we did my way. We did bloody. You know, um, like I said, um, the Doris Day song. We've done we've done uh, Beach Boys songs. We've done Roy Orbison. So every Roy Orbison song, you know, I wish I'd written because they're just so powerful. Um, you know, Otis Redding. You know, Wilson Pickett. We've done Little Richard. We've done. 
we've done uh, Scottish traditional songs. We, uh, at the start of this this pandemic, Jane decided her thing was, all right, you're going to write, I'm going to learn guitar, you know, and she she knew two or three chords, but she's actually studies, she sits with her computer and, and does, you know, tutorials, and she's really good now, you know, and you can look at the start of the start of the um, the COVID, COVID um, uh, break, she's like fumbling to find chords. I think the first song we did was You've Got a Friend, James Taylor song, and uh, or Carol King, and then um, and then and at that point I thought, well, you know, because I've always I've dabbled in bagpipes for years, and I thought I'll pick up the bagpipes and I'll, I'll you know have a go at them. So I, you look at me back then, she's struggling with the chords, and I'm sounding like I'm strangling the cat. And then fast, <laughs> fast forward to today, and she's very accomplished, and I sound like I'm strangling two cats. <laughs> but but I can pick up the bagpipes now, and I can I can knock out a tune with them. And 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 as a Scotsman, uh, you know, I, that's the other thing. As I've got older, I've, I've you know because I've always considered myself Australian. You know, I grew up, I came here when I was five and my, you know, I learned everything in life, you know, good, the bad and the ugly as well in, about it in Australia. But uh, since writing these books and, and, in, and of late, I've just felt this strange connection back to Scotland. And, uh, and I remember when I, you know, I used to go back there, I used to go back on holiday and every time I went, it was like, it was like Elizabeth where I grew up in Adelaide. Every time I went there, I just felt this overwhelming sense of fear and darkness because of the, the history, the past of, of my, my life. Now, I uh, know that, that that's uh, that's lifted that light, uh, put a light onto that that darkness. Um, Elizabeth, I realise Elizabeth probably saved my life, you know. And and I talk about it in the in the book about the, the broken home. I, I feel a sense of belonging there, you know. Uh, somebody asked me the other night what it would be like if I'd have grown up in Scotland. I probably would have been like an extra for train spotting, you know, because mm. it was. <laughs> I mean, really, because that was just that sort of that's the upbringing we were going to have. So so Elizabeth probably saved my life, which I never thought I'd say. And and I look back at Scotland now. And although I left when I was five years old, I have this sense of belonging there, and you know, and I go there, and 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 the, you know, and I realise that they're my people. You know, they're, they're you know, this is you know part of this is a huge part of who I am, and I just have this connection to the place, and and I, and I hear bagpipes and I break down and cry and I bloody you know, you know, they only I used to hear them before and they just make me want to fight, which is what happens to most Scots people, but that's only because <laughs> we're drunk. I realise. <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm conscious about finishing up because you've already written a great song this morning and I don't want to get in the way of you writing another great song this afternoon. But I've got a couple more questions if you don't mind. Uh, So... I um I I want to talk about your relationship with Australia. So tell me, just from your opinion, what is the best thing about Australia, and what is the thing that we should that is at the thing that we most need to fix? Yeah, um, well, I think the fact that we were we were a melting pot, you know, the, that that whole the the immigrant thing, you know, but I mean, we we you know we uh, we we were you know this was not our country. This is not our country, you know. The, the, I mean, we have to, you know. I think to really, to really make this home for everybody, we have to, you know, to, we have to be, you know, conscious, aware, uh, thankful to to the First Nations people. You know, uh, it's, uh, you know, we really, we've really invaded this country. Uh, but the fact is. That's happened all over the world. That's what colonization was about, and bloody, you know, and good and bad or ugly. But now we're here. We can't just let it keep going on and being the same as it is. You know, this is not our land. These are not our. You know, this is not our shores. And we have to be thankful that we're here. We have to look after them, and we have to we have to share them with with the people who who rightfully 
you know live here and 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 we're not we don't even give you know the aboriginal people the the right in parliament to to have a voice yet and 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 we keep doing these you know bloody you know royal commissions you know and and i cacks and you know and they keep saying here's 20 things you should do you know i remember about you know death aboriginal deaths in custody you know 25 years ago or something and we did none of them we did nothing, you know. So we keep getting spending a fortune on getting advice. You know, maybe we ask, what, what do you, what do you need? And we get the statement from Uluru, and we do nothing about it. So I think one of the big things that's going to make this country a better place is that when we, as we own who we are and that we share it all together. Um, I think that Australia. The fact that it is a melting pot of people now. You know, we have we have uh, the Aboriginal people that are the the traditional owners and we were all here sharing with them uh with you know is has really brought a lot of great things to this country we have you know you, you know you can get the best the, the food in australia the produce the the culture you know you go from from suburb to suburb you can be like it's like going around europe you know you'd be in greece one minute and italy the next in poland and 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 i've known i went to school in adelaide with you know there because we're because we were living in, in poorer areas we were immigrants so i i spent you know i'd go to school with greek Italians, Polish, bloody Russians, you know, and everybody, Aboriginals, and and we were all just kids, and and we've just got to remember, you know, that, that, that we're all here to learn from each other, and I and I think that 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 mix of 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 you know all the best of, that we all brought the, and the dreams that we all brought to this country is going to what's going to make it a great country, but we can't let politics get in the way of it. I hate seeing you know uh, you know the, just the, the shape of politics worldwide at the moment really, uh, you know really uh, just breaks my heart. I just you know I hate sort of seeing our leaders trying to emulate Donald Trump, you know, or you know or you know you know stupid you know politicians in Queensland you know make Australia great again. You know just fucking do the job. You know, it's not, how can you do that when you're when you're not paying your workers, when you when you're you know you're raping the land, you know, and then talk about you know, you just stop trying to make money and try to make try to make a good country. And I think that we have such potential in this country, and um, but we also have the potential to lose it in a heartbeat. Okay, three questions and we're done, Jimmy. So yep. uh, this one, food is a big theme I yep. have noticed in your writing. You're a person who's passionate about yeah. food. And so death row meal, it's your final meal. What, what would be the meal that you would definitely have to eat one more time? Probably lamb chops and mashed potato. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Scotsman. Lamb chops, mashed potatoes, sweet carrots uh, and peas. And uh, it's my favourite meal. Jane makes it for me all the time. Uh, you know, the, there's a funny thing. There's, I'm writing because Jane and I are writing a cookbook together at the moment uh, for next year. And she's doing the recipes, obviously. she's I'm, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a pretty good cook, but but she's a fab, fabulous cook. Um, and uh, and when Jane, when I first met Jane, I was, I was a real Scotsman. I mean, we ate mince and potatoes, you know, meat and veg. That was it. Meat and potatoes. Um, and I'd never eaten anything. And she's Thai. So suddenly I started trying all these foods. But I remember the first time I had dinner with her, she cooked apricot chicken, right? And and I just thought it was the best thing I'd ever eaten in my life. And I remember thinking, I've got to marry this chick, you know? <laughs> and, and we spoke about it recently. And she was saying how her and her best mate, there was a Margaret Fulton, who was an amazing cook, right? In the, in the 60s yeah. and stuff. She had come out with the first big cookbooks in this country. And her and her best mate... Uh, both picked the recipe from Margaret Fulton's cookbook, and this was going to be their cook because they, they were sharing a house. And Jane's was apricot chicken, and her friend's was veal bananas. And I said to Jane, "If you'd have made me veal bananas, 
this would have been all off. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, and then I, I said, you know, your mate, what's happened? Is she married? She, no, she's not married yet. I said, that's why. Feel bananas. Feel bananas has done it. Uh, but, uh, but you know, I mean, food, food is, uh, food is like, is like art. It's like language. It's like really, it's how you know. I mean, as a family, we're very, we're, we're a big family, and we're one of these, one of these families who meal time is very important. We place a lot of importance in it. It's when you really share a lot of time. It's when everybody sits down and everybody you know you're there together and you tell stories and you laugh and you work together and no matter what's going on all right we can be i can be making records i can be there kids are at school but at that time we all get together so food's a, a crucial part of our family lives and we're, and we're all really you know passionate about cooking and 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 and, and produce and and um and sharing and you know and and food is a great way to break down bar- uh, barriers you know we've you know we've, we've had you know people you know, from all over the world, just coming to our home, and, and 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 you have a meal with someone, and you know them. Uh, so I'm, uh, I have a magic wand. I don't for legal reasons, but for the sake <laughs> of this question, I have a magic wand, yeah. and I can I can give you any skill in the entire world. You don't have to do your ten thousand hours to learn how to do it. You just immediately possess that skill. What skill would you like to have? Um, probably the patience to uh, to. Um, to, to finish to finish things off. I'm one of these people who's really great at just I run off and do things. And I'm, I'm, my my biggest um, challenge at the moment is, like I said, is about just sitting and being. And you know, and I'm I, you know I can do anything I want. I can literally you know I could even I could even get handy become a handyman if I really wanted to. But I don't have the patience to sit and, 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 you know, like if I could work out how to program a phone properly or a computer uh, you know, or, 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 or do the microwave or, you know, so maybe maybe I, if you could wave a, make a wave a wand and make me sit and read a manual. Because I normally go from the first page to the back straight away, yeah. and, I, and I want the outcome and not, and not all the pressure in the middle. And that's probably that's, that probably describes me in life. <laughs> <laughs> okay, final question, and thank you so much for your time. Uh, Killing time is uh, the name of the book. I will give it a proper plug in the intro as well. Yeah. But it is really absolutely fantastic, and your first two books are also amazing. And of course, Jimmy uh, has so much music that you can consume. There is an incredible uh, back <laughs> and more, history, more and the best and the best is yet to come. There you we, go. We've so um, final question I have a time machine it is a round trip that I'm offering you into the future or into the past and you can go to any point in your own life or you can go to any point in history you don't need to go back and kill Hitler or anything you know I'll send the appropriate people back to do that but where would you like to go on the time machine Uh, oh man you know I'd probably like to go back to when I was you know 12 years old and, and talk to myself and just say, you know, it's going to be okay. You know, it's just, you know, it's not that bad. You know, life, life will get better. Uh, you know, because uh, from from the very young age, I, you know, and and you know, and maybe that's making, you know, letting letting my mum know that you know, it doesn't matter what she did, it doesn't, you know, I'm still okay. You know, it doesn't. She can be anything she wants. I still love her. You know, um, so it's just so I'd go back and and they should know. Hey, hey. <laughs> there you go. I told you. No, on, that's that's, right. that's like a moment. And there you go. Oh, okay. you that, that's like a moment in time. You. See, I, you know, and maybe go back and make. And while I'm on the way back, can I stop and see my dogs? <laughs> <laughs> Mate, thank you so much for um, doing this. I really appreciate it so much. And um, nice uh, best of luck you, with the book. And so good to see you. Yeah, nice to talk to you, fam. Cheers. Thank you.